As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Take the Spurs game out of the equation. We've already covered why players back late, lack of fitness, that sort of thing. And this has turned into a pretty good start to the season for City. Norwich and Arsenal were comprehensively dispatched, but a tough test at Leicester on Saturday was well managed and well controlled. Tougher tests still remain though, and there's always the start of the Champions League group of death this week too. So let's waste no time and dive into it all. I'm David Mooney. This is the Athletics Manchester City podcast, Why Always Us. And once again, I am joined by their City correspondent, Sam Lee. Hiya, Sam. Hello. Is it the group of death? I mean, we'll get into that later on. But well, I, I thought it was. Still going to get out of that. I thought it was the group of death. Is it not the group of death? It's a, it's a, it's, no. it's, it's the most exciting and tough group that City have had for a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That's a low bar, isn't it? To be fair. Well, it is. I know well, City I'm, fans are quite excited. Well, I'm what having a the, look at the other groups. What are the groups? Like, what are the groups? Liverpool's is immediately. Uh, Liverpool have got Atletico Madrid. I know they're not all like top names and top amazing teams. But obviously, Atletico Madrid, the Spanish champions. Porto, who are a big club in Portugal. And AC Milan, so that you know that's a big group, isn't it? Mm. Okay, well, um, well, yeah, okay, okay. Real but... Madrid into well, look, yeah, Bayern, um, Barca, Benfica, and then Dynamo Kiev. That's yeah, they're tough groups. I mean, it's a tough group. Don't get me wrong, but um, but you're not having group of death, basically. Yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> nah, City. I mean, City is still City is still getting out of that. The two PSG games would be good, but anyway, that's the Champions League roundup done. Yeah, well, uh, we've no need to do that later on, but uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll crack on with some other stuff. Uh, you can sign up to the Athletic yeah. right now and read all of Sam's stuff on City, including a recent piece on Eliakim Mangala's debut. And honestly, it's one of my favourite things that Sam you've ever written. I'm not going to lie. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was an it was a niche article. It was. Yeah, hopefully it will appeal to the listeners. Yeah, it's. it's I, I genuinely think it's one of the biggest falls from graces that I've ever seen at City. So uh, yeah, go and check that out. Uh, if you sign up right now, you'll get a 33 percent discount on the price of a full subscription just go to theathletic.com forward slash man city pod um so let's start with leicester sam on saturday um i, I just want to i want to run something past you uh, before we before we get into the actual um details of the game um because the thought struck me at half time on saturday that i was getting i was getting a good vibe about the way that city were playing and i'm hoping that you can kind of explain a little bit 
more about what that means because I can't really put it into words what I mean by that. Um, it's quite abstract. It doesn't really seem measurable in any stretch of, you know, any metrics don't seem to add up to what I mean by the way City are playing are, are making me feel good. It's kind of like what Guardiola yeah. says about about when he, when you can smell the goals, that sort of thing. It doesn't, doesn't really mean anything, yeah. but you know what it means. Um, and it all came out because I was nervous about the game ahead of it. I, I thought Leicester were a bigger and better challenge than any of the teams that City have faced to this point. You know, Vardy always scores. They always create chances on the break, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the fans are back in as well. It was going to be a more hostile environment than than they'd faced at, at anywhere possibly other than Spurs. Um, you know, City, but, but when you watch the performance, City were in, a, in control of a lot of the game. Um, about was probably about as much as you could expect them to be in control of on a, on a, on a day like that. Um, yeah. And then as halftime was approaching, that thought kind of clicked into place that even if they didn't win, I was I wasn't getting the alarm bells that I that I've had in other seasons where they've had disappointing starts as defending champions and you've thought oh there's problems here and you can see where where things are not quite connecting properly. I mean the the record would have been like played four one two lost two had they lost, um, but I wouldn't have been that worried about it in in the same way that I would have been in kind of like twelve thirteen Mancini's last season or fourteen fifteen Pellegrini's middle season, uh, the season where Liverpool won the title and it felt like like Guardiola's. City looked tired after the after the two back to back back to back titles. In each of them, the warning signs weren't that they dropped points, but the manner in which they were dropping points. Whereas this season, I kind of felt if City had lost at Leicester, the manner in which they dropped the points wouldn't have been that concerning because they were still playing quite well. Um, I got to admit, I was a little bit nervous after the Spurs game. You know, the, the but but three performances on since then, they've really kind of set that that feeling straight, and I'm getting this kind of smell of a good season if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I wrote my article like, immediately after the final whistle. That'll be obviously available for people to read now. Probably already, well, hopefully already read it. Um, but I, And I was I was just trying to strike the right balance of, I don't want to say that everything's going to be fine because like, you know, anything could happen now. It's ridiculously early. It's almost too early to even having this conversation. But it's like, there's, there's obviously good signs and probably more in the context of, like, yeah, like you said, maybe issues that could have crept in and after the Spurs game. I was never bothered after the Spurs game. I didn't even write about that match really. You know, I did I did the focus on Grealish. And I, I would imagine after the after the game we just talked about how, you know, it doesn't matter. You know? I, I, I know I know I said that a lot last season for various reasons, but with pre season all the and all the distra- distractions and stuff, it didn't bother me that City had lost in terms of how what it mean for the season. Um and yeah, obviously since then they've been really good. Uh, the two five nil wins like the Norwich and Arsenal played into City's hands, but you don't just accidentally win five nil. You know what I mean? Like there, there was obviously something there, but the yeah. Leicester game was that that word again. It was a big bellwether. It was, I was I was really interested <laughs> to see. And like, again, the, the yeah, the sorry, that's, that, that, that's just an in joke from about nine months ago. Funny. Yeah, it's always going to be. Yeah, funny. well, you say in joke, but like enough people read it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, listen to it. Um, but yeah, so because Leicester, like you say, and this is kind of the premise of my article. Leicester, if there's any weaknesses in City, Leicester are going to find them. That seems to be how you can you can kind of quantify the the game and the performance. Yeah. Like whether it was 2019, 20, um, which to be fair, the the results might not stack up there, but go with it. But obviously the start of last season, um, whenever Vardy's got those goals, is it ten goals in eight games or eight goals in ten games? They're all all on counterattacks, you know, Leicester will just find out if City aren't quite at it. And the fact that City, they controlled the game 
very well. I wouldn't, you know, it wasn't as like complete as April, but it was never going to be because you know in April there was no fans and slightly different vibe. But with the atmosphere like it was on Saturday and just everything that brings, and you know, Leicester were up for it. They were up for the counter attacks and stuff. And and to go back to one thing you said about how yeah, if City had had have lost the game because there were opportunities for um, for Leicester on the counter attack, it wasn't. Oh, you know, this is City's big problem striking again. There wasn't, you know, the problems against um, Tottenham at the start of the season, which we know about. You know, they they gave the ball away half the pitch. They got counted on. It didn't go well. But you know, there were reasons for that. Individuals playing and fitness and stuff. That wasn't the issue. So when you talk about the kind of smell of the performance and it feeling good, City. I think a part of that, obviously, probably could be quantified with XG in terms of the chances City created. But it could also just be quantified by the fact that they weren't giving the ball away stupidly and chasing back behind like towards their own goal yeah. endlessly. Like yeah. Leicester did have counter attacks and Leicester could have scored and like Brendan Rodgers felt like it could have been one one. I, I felt it could have been one one as well. Obviously at the same time I felt it could have been three or four nil to see. Um but those counter attacks that they had, apart from the Vardy goal that was disallowed for offside, which was just that was a classic kind of City making a stupid decision and, and getting punished. The rest was just Leicester being good. And like, we analyse football so much and especially when you've got a club focus, we talk about, you know, whether City are so good or City are so bad, whatever it is. But you obviously got to remember the opposition's part that they played. But that, I, I tweeted about it and it, I put it in my article, but that um, header from Harvey Barnes from basically the edge of the box that hit the bar after a counter-attack, uh, there wasn't much City could have done about that. It, like, I'm sure it would have been analysed as, oh yeah, Leicester have done City on the counter-attack again. And uh, they would have. But Leicester were just really good at it. Like, that, that's why they're, they're always in the top four conversation these days because like they're a really good team. And while you've got Arsenal and Norwich who played into City's hands, Leicester will not play into City's hands at all. It's the opposite. It's like that's why City generally find it really hard against Leicester. And I'm sure loads of people go into the game or waiting to watch the game were thinking this is going to be really hard. And it was really hard. Um so yeah. But I mean with that with that counter-attack chance, like, Schmeichel's pass out wide to to Albrighton first was great. Albrighton just did a little a good little flick that you couldn't really like even if you close him down even quicker. Like there's, I just don't think there's any way you can be on the scene for that. And then Castani did exactly the same thing, which Laporte fouled him and he was booked. And obviously the ref paid advantage, but he could have taken a different decision. And then like, all of a sudden Vardy was in and it's like, this, like Leicester just done really well there. But like there was other times when, you know, they went through towards the end and Edison made a good save. And there was always that danger. And I'm sure in the way that football fans think, I'm sure City fans would have been thinking right until the end, God, Leicester are going to score here. And that was, that danger was always there. But it was it was quite often more the threat that something was going to happen rather than it actually happening. Yeah. I was, there wasn't well, this is what a hatful yeah. of chances, was there? There wasn't a hatful of Leicester chances. Like There were good opportunities, don't get me wrong. But it wasn't. There wasn't loads and loads and loads. Well, this this is this is kind of, I guess, where the feeling comes from after the game as well. Because I mean, I, I should caveat all this as well by saying that last season, up until about January, I was getting the smell of a bad season. So, like, it, it, thing, it doesn't necessarily follow that things will work quite well. Um, oh yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, but like you say, that like the chances as well. 
like a little insight into in, into kind of how football highlights, I assume, are put together based on one of my previous jobs. I used to. This is this is going to sound like it's come from left field, but go with it. Um, I used to do. Uh, I used to work for a company that did the highlights of uh, Arsenal's youth games. So uh, me and a cameraman used to drive down to Arsenal's training ground from Manchester on a, on a Saturday morning. Uh, he'd film the game. I'd watch the game, and I'd rate all of the chances that happened out of ten. And that meant when it got when the footage got back to the editors in the edit suite in Manchester, they'd just look at my notes and go, "Well, that's a okay. We've we've got this amount of time. We'll take all the, all the eights, nines, and tens, and that'll be that'll make the highlights." And when you look at what Leicester did, there's so many opportunities there where you think, "Oh, there's a really good chance coming here." But then Diaz steps in, or Laporte steps in, or, or Rodri just. He, yeah. There's a little block somewhere that just cuts the pass out, and it breaks down. You think, well, that's not going to make the highlights real. But all the way through the game, you're feeling really tense about it. And I guess yeah, that's. Absolutely. I guess that's that kind of sense of relief is what I'm talking about now, where I say that that it, it feels like it could have been one all, like you say. But actually, when you look at the highlights, there's not many Leicester chances in there. Yeah, and it's like, and look, they. That's not really doing down Leicester's performance. It's just kind of focused on how well City did. And like, even though I'm saying, oh, City did really well, apart from these chances, it's like, what do you expect? Like, really, yeah. to go to the King Power and not expect, not not have counterattacks? Like, it's it's very rare. I thought you were going to say when you were talking about how they choose highlights, like, Ferran Torres' one-on-one wasn't on Match of the Day. I, I watched oh, it I didn't morning. see that. I, I didn't see I, that. <laughs> I watched it this morning. I was like, I was like, oh, shit. I was like, was Torres' one-on-one after it was 1-0? Because I just thought, they like surely they wouldn't miss that chance out, but it was one of those where, and I think also on match today they they try and find as many chances for both teams as possible. But then that did make me think if anyone's watching this, people might think City were quite lucky out of it. But I don't I don't think they were overall. Like I think it was a really good win, and I've kind of talked for the usual five minute monologue already about you know City's good stuff. But that it was that's more in terms of avoiding bad stuff. Like stopping, like stopping Leicester from doing what they do, and that's really important because it goes back to what Guardiola was saying about patience. And if City are suffering counter attacks, then it smells like a bad game, and it smells like a bad season, doesn't it? You know, yeah. and it might still happen. They, you know, they got they got Chelsea, PSG, and Liverpool in a week, and you know, we might we might be having completely different conversations after that. But even so, it would still be early. Yeah. Um, but the other side of it was City just created so many chances. City did control the game really well. Um, Leicester make it really difficult to play through the middle of them. So. City just kind of worked it out wide and good combinations between Grealish and Bernardo. Um, there were loads of chances. Leicester, again, you know, the, it wasn't like... Because when it looked like Leicester might score, and obviously when Vardy did, and I didn't notice at first that the flag had gone up, um, it was I d- it hadn't quite got to the stage where it was like, while well, they were asking for that. Because so many times when I've tweeted and had to write about City games where they've lost, it's like... Well, of course, of course, this has happened, lads, because you've missed too many chances. Like it didn't quite feel like it. it a bit towards the end of the first half, I was like, eh, it's, "It's getting a bit like that." But a lot of it, again, it was just Leicester defending really well. Like those goal mouth scrambles, Leicester were just chucking themselves all in the way. Yeah, um, there, was the, a couple, the, the, there was a the couple Jesus of ways one. Ones. Yeah, yeah, the, the, Jesus, the, the Jesus one. He should have scored, and then I, the two follow-ups from that, I kind of have sympathy with that they didn't score. I think the Jesus one, he should have yeah. scored, but other than that, yeah. And then I mean, but then. Torres' one-on-one was like, that's, that was probably the one where I was thinking, uh-oh, they're going to score here um, just because of how football works. But then the other chances, really, the, the main ones were towards the end when City could have made it 2 or 3-0. Um, that had so many chances. And it was one of those where, again, they won't even end up on match of the day. But like you said, for when you were talking about Leicester breaking, but one of the City defenders stopping it, City had so many chances like, on, on kind of transitions, but they just make such terrible decisions, don't they? Like, <laughs> they're, they're just so... 
unclinical in those situations and not even in terms of the finishing, but even getting a chance sometimes. Like, because Sterling didn't do well when he came on. Um, it just didn't, it just didn't go well, that substitute. Um, but there was one towards the end where City were, I don't know if it was 4 on 3 or 4 on 4 or whatever, but he made a, so Gundogan was carrying the ball forward and Bernardo was to the left. I'm, I'm trying to think it would have been to the right at that stage. Um, but they're all kind of, like, it was a promising break, but none of them, really doing anything and then Sterling got on the scene and really motored through between Gundogan and whoever was on the right but Gundogan was looking left and he went to Bernardo and he kind of went wide and Bernardo was like okay we'll just keep hold of it then and it's like if to be fair if they'd have given it to Sterling in that situation he would have at least been able to miss the one-on-one like he would have been able to at least like make amends for everything else um but yeah like that, that Grealish going when Grealish went through at the end and had like one bad touch and then another bad touch and ended up going too wide and the finish was just bad and Again, I was surprised when Fernandinho went through and didn't square it. Like Fernandinho going for goal in that situation, Fernandinho was probably the one player, possibly De Bruyne, but possibly Gundogan. But there's not many. But he's probably the one player you'd think. Well, he's not going to shoot when you can just pass it across and finish the game, and it's two 0 yeah. And obviously, he went for the far post. It's like, oh god, what are they doing? But obviously, in the end, it was fine. And I thought you were going to go with... didn't really do too much after that. But yeah, I, yeah, I thought you were going to go with Fernandinho will be the most unlikely scorer on that pitch. And I mean, aside from Edison, who yeah. would you say was the most unlikely scorer? I'd, I'd have gone Kyle Walker to be honest. But here we are. Uh, yeah, it, it would be it would be Walker, wouldn't it? To be fair, but but the but um, but um, Fernandinho would be quite, quite Fernandinho high in that number yeah. eight position is great. Like yeah. Like, it was interesting because he did that against was Everton last game of the season, which was obviously like party atmosphere. Aguero's got his two goals, which were largely to do with Fernandinho. But you think we're not going to see Fernandinho as an eight again. But when he came on against <laughs> Leicester in a game where you know you think he's just going to sit in with Rodri and stop Leicester attacking, like it, it was, it was really interesting. I mean, I don't know if he'd have the legs to do it for ninety minutes, and also I don't think there's there's any point when you've got you've got better ahead of him yeah. and you've got and you've got De Bruyne coming back. But I mean, it's a hell of an option late in the game. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Let's talk about the control in that game um, because, well, I mean, what was it that made City so much more in control of it? Because, uh, like, as we've said, the number of times where Leicester had chances to create chances but didn't. Like, it, it can't just simply be that, you know, Rodri played well, that Laporte and Diaz played well. Do you know what I mean? There must have been there, there must have been something to it that, me- that, that meant the setup was right for City to take control of that game, was it? Yeah, well, I mean, maybe I've I've done that classic journalism thing of like latching onto one particular idea and saying this is what we know about, so therefore it's the most important thing. But obviously, Guardiola was talking about patience a lot last season, and particularly with those Leicester games. Um, and you know, when they went one 0 up at the Etihad last year, and they were just like kind of spamming the ball forward, trying to trying to rush it and get a second goal. And obviously, yeah, the the more you rush it, the more you're out of position, the more the passes mislaid, and then you know 
you're not in a position to then go and counter press Ayer, and then all like Leicester don't like you really need to do counter press Leicester because they can play around you so so well, as we've discussed. So when you've got space to play into, it's a disaster, and that's why it was a disaster at the Etihad last year. And then obviously they went back to the King Power, one two nil, kept the ball, which is what they did against um, Gladbach. They did it against Dortmund. Uh, to a slightly lesser extent against PSG, but that's how they controlled those games, just by keeping the ball and being in the right positions and having a ball in the, op- in the opposition half and and being clinical. And that's 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 what they did on, on Saturday. They weren't they weren't rushing it, were they? It was kind of the right pass at the right time. And I'm trying to think of the difference with Tottenham. Obviously, you've got you know fatigue and making bad decisions. I mean, Mendy played. And as everyone knows, it was terrible. And it, like, just quite simply, so when you said it can't be as simple as these players playing well, like how it often did Mendy just give the yeah. ball away to like a Spurs midfielder? And the Spurs midfielder went, "Okay, then Son, crack on." You know, it was as simple as that. Spurs were really well organised, and, and so were Leicester. But City just seemed to make better decisions in their passes. I can't think there were too many misplaced passes anywhere. And if there were, it was it wasn't even the wall. The example I always use for this, and there's probably better, but we're talking about 2019-20 and how things don't quite click. Obviously, City, City lost to Norwich on this weekend, actually. Um, and then they lost to um, to Wolves in October, didn't they, the Etihad? Yeah. And both examples of those were City losing the ball in the final third. So you think, oh, it's not too dangerous. But they lost the ball in the final third. Everyone was ahead of the ball. And Wolves just rampaged down the other end. But... Even when City were losing the ball in the final third, they were they were kind of there to disrupt it if it broke down or it was going out of play. And obviously, they, um, Leicester couldn't turn them around so quickly. And it just seemed like, to me anyway, they were just using the ball more intelligently. And often, you know, they, they were actually creating the chances. You know, if they weren't losing the ball, obviously they were keeping it and it was, they were getting into the box and, and forcing dangerous situations. So I think that's how they managed to do it. You know, everyone was just doing what they needed to do and yeah. they were in the right place to do it and again if we're talking about what this means for the season I don't want to say the season's going to be great because of this game but it does show that City have started well you know to if talking about complacency and stuff and look maybe that kicks in or maybe they're getting some negative spiral if they get a couple of unlucky results that happened a couple of years ago but they are, they have found that rhythm and, and going back to what you said right at the start about getting the sense that it's going to be a good season or you know that intangible feeling of watching City to me, it felt like okay, yeah, that's it. It felt like a you, you felt comfortable watching it in terms of it was yeah, their okay, identity. Yeah, you, yeah you, exactly. could, you could see it. Yeah, and like so, I was I because of various reasons, I had to like I couldn't spend all day and all night writing an article after the game, like I have done recently with those analysis of you know Jesus and Torres and, and Grealish. It took taking me hours afterwards, but I couldn't yesterday. And I was thinking, I was trying to plan every possible eventuality and like what would I write for this, what would I write for that. And I was thinking, you know, if they lose, I'm probably going to be able to start writing, but 20 or 30 minutes left of this game, because we know what happens when City lose. Like, it's not going to be a last-minute winner, is it, for the other team? It's going to be, they might score in the first half, they might score in the second, and then City will have a load of the ball, and they won't do anything with it, and then the, the game will just peter out. And I was like, if, if that were to happen, and look, before the game, I didn't know if that was going to happen or not. You know, it's Leicester, it could have, and it's City early in the season, we don't know too much, it could have happened. Um, and I was just thinking, well, if they lose, it'll probably be like that. But again, just to go back to how 
that obviously clearly was not the case. And when you watch a City performance, it's like a malfunctioning system, isn't it? We've talked about this so many times. Like They're all trying to do the same things. They're all trying to take up the same positions and make the same runs and make the same passes. But it's not been working for an hour, but it's the only thing they've got. It's the only thing they've been taught for for five years. So they just keep doing it and it doesn't work. And it's like a malfunctioning system. And that's why it, it's kind of like, like it's a typical City defeat because even that follows a pattern. Yeah. Um, but it's not the good you know, the good city that we've seen in the three title winning seasons and in their better matches even when, you know, they, they've not won the leagues. But that performance yesterday was a that was a proper city performance. And look, I'm I'm trying so hard not to be like kind of like results based. And look, maybe if Leicester had a score, I don't know if I, maybe I'd have been saying, Oh, our problems are here, problems that but I don't know, I don't think so. Like you no, said like, it, say, it's, and like it, I was saying yeah. during the game, like if they if Leicester had a scored if it was that how Harvey Barnes had, he'd say, well, fair play, like, what are you going to do? And then we'd probably end up talking about how City need a striker, to be fair. Because that's the only other kind of, that's the only other ele- element of the game, isn't it? Where it's like, yeah, everything's in place here. City are looking pretty solid. They know what they're doing. The players are obviously hungry. So many quality players on the bench will come in now. You know, now they're playing three games every, every. well, sorry, they're playing a game every three days. Um, so that's, that's all great. That's all taken care of. But obviously, like, the whole, the clinical side of it is, Something to discuss, isn't it? Yeah, and it, but it has been for a while. That's the that that that's the take home. I mean, the the other side uh, from from the game on Saturday, Bernardo Silva was the one who he he seemed to grab all the headlines because I mean he was having a great game before uh, even before he scored. It's it's even in the sense that it's almost easy to forget from that performance that De Bruyne and Foden are are there ready to come back from from injury in the next kind of few weeks. Um, and I want to focus on on Bernardo a little bit because. Him and Grealish yes, definitely should do. Yeah, well, him and Grealish. Um, I, I was getting again an intangible sense that they're working really well together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was interesting, wasn't it? The Bernardo played on that left side of the attacking midfield too, which he's never really done, and that's not a powers of thing or anything like that. It's just, well, I suppose it is really because if De Bruyne is always playing on the other side, but this was more because and. That, this time Gundogan was playing, so the powers were still there in theory. Although he played quite, quite high up, but Gundogan was just on the right, which again you don't see very often. But I asked Guardiola about that, and he was saying he just wanted um, somebody left-footed on that left side. He was like he, the way he was talking about it was like I kind of got the vibe, and maybe I'll need to listen to it again. But he was like, "Oh, in the last few years, everybody wants inverted wingers." Like he was like it was that kind of thing where everybody <laughs> says we spend too much, or everybody like you know where he was kind of criticizing the media or like pundits or whatever. And I was like, well, "You're the one who wants inverted wingers. Like you are doing this." But maybe maybe I, maybe I read it wrong. But he was kind of like, "Oh, in the last few years, everybody likes inverted wingers, but um, I still like to have people on there playing on their strong foot on that side." So we put Bernardo in there and he could put, you know, instead of coming inside onto his right foot, which would have been the case with Gundogan, and obviously is the can- the case with Cancelo, um, Bernardo can just cross the ball in straight away. And obviously if you've got Torres making those runs as a number nine, then you can see how that fits together. Um, I mean, obviously he could just play a left foot or on the left wing if he wanted. And we'll probably see that with phones back, to be fair. Um, as for their partnership, yeah, it's like I've been saying it a lot, but I'm looking forward to Grealish and Foden because they're so technical, they're so fluid, they're so slick. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that looks. But like I said, his Grealish's partnerships with so many other players, like I mentioned Sterling, but Bernardo now he's on that side. That's not one I mentioned because I didn't think they'd come into the same areas too often. But now they're there, you can absolutely see why. Um, and yeah, like it, it was really good. And once you know Grealish gets a bit more of a cutting edge, which I'm sure will come, then I'm sure it'll be even more devastating. They did look really good. And and yeah, Bernardo, like, 
I've said this before, and this is a minor point that only really applies to me, but you're all going to have to listen to it anyway. But I'm so glad Guardiola admitted at the start of the season that Bernardo wanted to leave. Because if he hadn't have said that, I reckon 90% of people would have said, absolute bollocks, there's no way he wanted to leave. Because if you look at everything else, like he didn't leave, obviously. So that's enough for most people. If you say somebody might go and they don't, it's easy just to think, well, that was bollocks. But like, if you look at the way he's been playing, if you look at the way he celebrated that goal, if you look at what he said after the game, I love this club, I love being here, blah, blah, blah. You would just think, this guy, there was nothing ever there. But I mean, to make this actually more relevant and to give more context to his performance, obviously Guardiola did say he did want to go. So we know that's a fact. But the thing was, and the thing I've reported over the summer anyway, is Guardiola never really wanted him to. Because well, he knows uh, that... Yeah. I mean, th- this was... This well, was but, he, but he, Guardiola knows that he can... That Bernardo's always going to play well because obviously he wanted to go last summer, but nobody ever knew. And he had a great season last year. And Guardiola knows that even if he's not entirely happy, he's going to be so important on the pitch. And that's what we're seeing now. Well, this is, I mean, this was genuinely going to be my next question to you because I wanted to clear up the story around him simply because the the what I, what I was seeing a lot of on social media during the game and in the reaction to Bernardo's performances from people who weren't in the City bubble was the talk that City were looking to, to trying to offload him last summer. And I didn't feel that that was particularly true. I, I kind of get the impression that that City were saying, well, listen, if you want to leave, then you can leave. But we'd rather you didn't leave, yeah. if that makes sense. I mean, yeah, it's... It's a difficult one because it's like they they were so mainly in they you know he was most likely to go because he wanted it, he wanted to he'd gone about it in the right way you know so there was no animosity he hadn't he hadn't been a dick last season so they're like well fair enough you you know you did stay and do well so if you, you know if you get a move you can go um, but there there was also the element. Although, like what I've, what I've said about Guardiola, notwithstanding, you know, Guardiola did think, well, I'd you know be great to keep him because he's he's a great player and he's a great guy. Um, whereas, you know, some others that have been like, yeah, it's not it's not so much of a problem if they move on, but like it was a problem with squad space, wasn't it? So they did need to move somebody on, you know, to raise a bit of money towards other things and and to keep the balance of the squad because you know I've talked about how the last season ended in terms of the players feelings towards the manager and feelings about wanting to stay at the club or not. Obviously, it didn't make too much of a difference on the pitch, which is fantastic for the club. But behind the scenes, you know, there were those feelings. But now, competition for places has only increased because, especially with Bernardo, because like Grealish is in there and we've not seen it yet, really. Like Sterling's obviously struggling to start games. So is Mahrez, which is interesting given how they finished last season in terms of attitude. Um, but obviously, like Foden's not been around and neither is De Bruyne so it, there's going to be a lot of competition there so to bring it back to Bernardo City were like well we do need to get rid of someone we do need to get money in we do need to free up a, a squad space and Bernardo does want to go and he's most likely to get an offer so yeah like they it did get to the stage of it's not ideal but we need this guy to go to make yeah. things happen and like, it wasn't my information to be fair on Ronaldo but it's been reported by by other people who are who I consider to be reliable, but part of the Ronaldo thing, obviously once Kane was out the window, and we'll go back to Kane in a minute, was City, part of that equation was City, he needed to get somebody to go. So it's like, yeah, City City didn't say, City didn't look at the whole squad and say, I'll tell you who we should sell, Bernardo Silva, get him out. But because he wanted to go, it was like, well, okay, if we've got to sell someone, so it may as well be him. So it's a complicated one, but 
yeah, they they were looking to sell him, but you know, for for like understandable reasons, they went on to bomb him out against his will. Yeah, yeah. Um, as for Kane, I was, I was speaking to someone the other day who knows him, and basically, it got to a couple of days before he put out the statement saying he was staying, and he hadn't spoken to Joe Lewis, the Spurs owner. He said, "What?" Like so, like Joe Lewis is like, obviously Daniel Levy is the. Everyone, what well, Daniel Levy is Daniel Levy, as Pep Guardiola might say. Um, <laughs> but Joe Lewis is the one who's, you know, nobody comes or goes without Joe Lewis having his having his say. And Kane hadn't spoke to him, which again ties into the whole, you know, what were they playing at narrative. Um, and he spoke to Joe Lewis and he was like, well, yeah, you can go. I said, are you going to pay 200 million? He was like, well, no, they might pay 150. He was like, well, if they're not paying 200 million, have a good season. You'll be staying with us. And that was it. <laughs> like I said, that was, uh, I don't, I don't know. Then um, from the same source, but word would have then got back to City, shall we say, and said, "Well, this is what this is what Spurs want," and, so it would, and they would have said, "It's not happening." So yeah, so forget let's, it. So let's, that, let's that's forget it, a bit, a bit more meat on the bones of how that happened. So yeah, they moved on, obviously to Ronaldo, and you know whatever happened happened. But I think in the end, most City fans are happy. I don't know about most, but a lot of City fans are happy that we're not a didn't sign, aren't they? I, I still yeah. think it would have been a great and fascinating signing, but I, I appreciate I'm looking at that from a kind of media point of view rather than a kind of fan thing. So I'm, anyway, I'm, uh, that's I'm, certainly relevant. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and, and talk for all City fans. I couldn't possibly, but what I am going to say is I'm quite happy with where City squad is right now. Let's uh, let's put it that way. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With a, with that in mind, and um, with um, as you say about competition for places, Sam, um, let's talk about that group of death that begins this week. Um, as uh, City obviously <laughs> host uh, RB Leipzig, and again, I've said host there, which is a completely wanky way of putting it, but you know, it's uh, it, it's what we have to say. Um, I don't think anybody would have noticed. Uh, well, you know, it's smooth. That's that, that, that's all we do. Uh, I'm I'm honestly, I'm really excited about this group. Um, it's been years that uh, where the group stages have been dull they've had very little jeopardy and you know like the one the, the classic example is that year where they lost to was it leon in the opening game um and then you and after that game you weren't thinking oh well that's a that's a terrible start to the champions league campaign you're thinking well they've got five games to go and win the group and they did um Whereas I kind of get the impression this time around, it's not going to be that easy. They've got obviously got uh, the Ligue 1 runners-up PSG. They've got the Bundesliga runners-up Leipzig. And they've got, I, I mean, Belgian League is not not the top tier, let's say, but uh, but Bruges won it. And yeah, you don't have to be cheeky. You don't have yeah. to be cheeky and I'd be overly respectful. Last yeah. Yeah, but Bruges, but Bruges won. The, they did win the, um, the the Belgian League. So it's... it's, yeah. it's, it's it's not an easy group to get out of this year, and there's there's going to be interesting games. And I've always said with the Champions League that uh, it gets interesting from February because that's when that, that's when the big ties start to happen. Um, and this year, it feels like the big ties are going to happen a bit earlier. So competition for places is probably a quite a good thing in this sense because if, if they play in three games a week, they can rotate the front three uh, for for each one of them and have a pretty good team there. Yeah, they they can rotate everyone. 
Um, obviously, last season, uh, that's how Pep kind of did it. He kind of had a, a it's, it feels disrespectful to call him a B team because they were very good. But that's how Stones got into the team, wasn't it? Because Stones was playing really well in those midweek cup games, whether it was Champions League or Carabao Cup. And the port had that bit of a dip. And it just got to a stage where it was like, well, Stones is playing really well, so I'll play him in the league games. Because it was yeah. basically like City's strongest 11 was was the league team, wasn't it? And then obviously at the end of the season, City's strongest 11 was the Champions League team. You know, if you're thinking Foden, keeping Sterling out of this team and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, you know, Pep will just keep rotating. Um, yeah, I suppose it's interesting with the Champions League because there is always a threat of a, a team nicking a draw at the Etihad. It, it seems to happen quite often, actually, doesn't it? Like there was obviously, well, Leon won at the Etihad, didn't they, a couple of years ago? Um Porto, City beat Porto last season, but it, I don't remember it being a great game. And Porto obviously dug in really well. And obviously Leipzig, I suppose it's a it's a little bit like the Leicester game in terms of, you know, they'll, they'll be having a go. And if City have got any weaknesses, they they might they might find them. And obviously if you drop points at home in this group and you've got two games against PSG coming up, then it does change the complexion of things. And it does add. It obviously adds more jeopardy to the group. There being another big club in there who could easily win the group. And, and the other thing that Guardiola has said in the past, and I think a lot of people have latched onto, is especially when City was struggling to get past the, the kind of first big knockout game they played. You know, Guardiola and others had said maybe if they had a big game earlier on in the group stage, they'd be more used to. Because Guardiola is always big on the history, isn't it? The history of the club in the competition, and he's like yeah. Real Madrid and Liverpool and Bayern Munich. You know, they've been doing it for for 60-odd years, and City have been doing it for 10, in terms of the Champions League. Um, and he's, So maybe those experiences of big nights where you've not got to win, but it's a very good idea if you do, you know, against top players, those experiences help. So, yeah, playing PSG will help. Um, the timing of the away PSG game, not ideal. Yeah, that could but, be better, couldn't it? Yeah, but, I mean, there's so many quality players. Um He's not going to be able to play all, you know, let, let's say he's established already, for argument's sake, like a top choice 11 like he did at the start of last season or at the end. He's not going to be able to play each and every one of those in every game. But, like, we know the situation. Like, De Bruyne hasn't been playing this season and City have been great anyway. And when De Bruyne was injured in January, February, and people were like, oh, maybe that derails him. And then Bernardo came back in and we had that debate. Well, I didn't really think it was much of a debate, but you know, there's a conversation to be had, I suppose, about whether a city are better with or without De Bruyne. Like, they they are so good with and without that they De Bruyne doesn't have to play every game if they're managing his ankle injury. He doesn't have to play, even though it's Chelsea, PSG, and Liverpool. They could rest him there, and like we've got Grealish has done well on the left and linked to well with Bernardo, but he could play Foden in one of those games or two of those games, or you know, he could play him in three if, if he's not fit enough to play him in three. Then he could take him out for a couple and put Grealish back in. You've got Sterling as well. Admittedly, Sterling would have to play better. On the right, you've got Mahrez and, and, and Jesus, who, who are obviously good options. They could play with Torres as a, as a number nine. They could obviously bring in one of these attacking midfielders as a false nine and mix it up that way. They have got so many options. Again, you could play Stones and Diaz. You could play Diaz and uh, Laporte. I mean, I would imagine Diaz would play all three games, but you could you could play Laporte and Stones. Um I'm still very happy to see Zinchenko at left back, but you could obviously play Cancelo as well. I'd imagine Walker would probably play all three games, but I'd, I'd imagine there'd be some people listening to this thinking it would be good to see Cancelo at right back again. It's like the squad is so good. Like Fernandinho could come in for one of those games, maybe the PSG one. Yeah, maybe maybe people would want him to come in for two or three. Listening to this, but the squad is ridiculous, and yeah, it's, it's a 
incredible run of games. I'm going to write an article about how you prepare for it generally and and specifically in terms of City because it's basically you're playing the three best teams in the world in eight days, which is mad all the way from home. But like, if anyone can handle it, it's City, isn't it? Like, yeah. There's like it, between Guardiola and the players at his disposal, they're just in, incredible strength and depth. Like they've had this start to the season, which we've been talking about without De Bruyne and without Foden, and that Foden's obviously phenomenal. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm, I, I'm, that's what I say. I'm, I'm excited by it, and I think it's, uh, I, I think it's the first time in a long time when I look at the group stage and think this, this will, this will be fun. Um, I, I, I there's, there's a sense of irony to it, I guess, because I, I was one of the big shouters in back about 2012 when uh, City drew the group of champions, where City went in as Premier League champions, uh, they drew Real Madrid as Spanish champions, uh, Borussia Dortmund as German champions, and Ajax as uh, as Dutch champions, and finished bottom of the group. Um, and I th- and I kind of got the impression that that was that that kind of if it didn't start the ball rolling for the for the reform of how the group stage draw was done, it certainly kind of kicked the ball on a little bit. Um, and now I feel how now now I understand how wrong that was because this is this is an interesting group this year, and they don't have to play bloody Shakhtar time and again. So uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm 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 really looking forward to it, and I think it, I think it'll be an entertaining uh, run, and I'm. Even though it's Chelsea away, PSG away, Liverpool away, the only one that bothers me there is Liverpool away, and that's because it's City. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, when, like when City won Anfield last year, I was like, oh, next year people would be like, oh, well, that, that almost didn't count because there was no fans. But even I'm now thinking, yeah, it'd be interesting <laughs> to see how it is with, with the fans back in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That'll be, I mean, that'll be the classic, won't it? Like Bravo will end up in goal again somehow, and... Yeah. Oh god! It'd be falling yeah. after twenty minutes, and they'll have been scored from an average distance of about twenty-seven point eight yards. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah. we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah, plenty of time. Plenty of time for things to fall apart before then. Uh, just a quick question on the Champions League before we finish, Sam. Um, how how much does a, a tougher Champions League group affect the Premier League campaign? Uh, because obviously we talked about the, the fact that they've got strength in depth in previous years. Like you take a look at last season, uh, and um, I mean they, they obviously had um, a lot of the a, a lot of the the group stage last season were games that they were probably going to win, and so, like you said, Guardiola the rotated his team. Last year, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they they could focus still on the on on making sure they didn't slip up in the Premier League, especially when they weren't playing particularly well and they were grinding out results. Obviously, they're 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 playing well at the moment; they're winning games, but they've got a tough group as well. Does it change any of the dynamics, or am I overthinking it all? Uh, I, I think as long as there's no not loads of injuries, because it's one of those where you could you could look at the same situation and whether you're pessimistic or optimistic or positive or negative, you could put it whichever way you want, and you could say, oh well, you know, they're going to need they can't rest too many players because they're going to they're going to need a lot of bodies, and they, it could tire them out, and you know they could take their eye off the ball in the Premier League, or you could look at it and say that rhythm of being up for every game. Is going to be useful, you know. They'll, They've thrived on that in the past, haven't they? Exactly. Normally, normally during a run-in, to be fair, and the fact that they're doing it so early in the season, I don't know, like might tire them out at Christmas, maybe. But going back to what I was saying earlier, in terms of the the ability in that squad, and we know how Guardiola handled it last season by basically playing a different eleven in the week. Okay, you might not be able to do that too much, but with the Carabao Cup, well, this is the interesting thing about Wickham, actually. Because the Wickham game is before that run against Chelsea. And I'm wondering, maybe a lot of kids will play. Or maybe, instead of two or three, maybe it'll be three or four. And then you'll have some of the players, you know, like Fernandinho, Zinchenko, uh, Stones. Maybe they'll they'll come in. But I'm wondering how many 
Pep will choose to use in terms of the youth players just to give a rest to the other lads before and how many he'll how many first team players he'll use to give them a bit of rhythm in case they then come in against PSG a week later that that'll be interesting how it how that all works in terms of like periodization and keeping that rhythm yeah but it'll be like I'll, Oxford I'm going to have to take the positive <laughs> Not yeah, Oxford. Yeah, um, who, who was it? Not it wasn't Oxford, was it? Who was it? The um... Burton. Burton. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to go with a positive route because the, the strong, the, the squad at the moment is so strong. But everyone's at the moment is fit. Like De Bruyne's just coming back. Foden's just coming back. I think even if he did a heavily rotated or like made five or six changes to a team, it's still going to be really strong. Against Wickham, you can make loads of changes. Against Bruges, you can make five or six. Um, okay, yeah. Um, Chelsea, Liverpool, PSG, and then an international break is tricky because if Diaz plays all three games and then he goes and plays two or three games with Portugal, then bit of a nightmare. But you'd think a bit of common sense would prevail there. And yeah, I, I just think it'll help keep them in a rhythm. Um, they've got a big enough squad to deal with it. Like that's the bottom line, really. I, yeah. I could have just saved five minutes of waffle and just said the squad's so good. Like <laughs> sometimes I look at it too kind of sensitively and just be like, oh, well, there's this and there's this. But like sometimes or you just need the zoomed out view and you just need to look at it how like a Leicester fan would look at it or like a Bournemouth fan or something and you just go, they've got a fucking unbelievable collection of players. Like They'll probably be all right. <laughs> That's probably the simple answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, final point for this week's show, Sam. Uh, something interesting's happened uh, this week. Uh, a few fans got, got together on Twitter to set up a new account, MCFC IST, uh, standing for obviously Manchester City Independent Supporters Trust. Um, I'm going to read out the, the first two tweets uh, because it uh, basically said, this has been a long time coming. City are the only club in the Premier League top six who don't have an independent supporters trust. Uh, there have been numerous ongoings in recent times where it's seemed that fans haven't been consulted with this needs to change we'll take a while to get off the ground and i'm certain it will take a long time for us to get in line into the club but a bit of persistence will get there um this is this is an interesting move this sam isn't it um because obviously there was the issues with the mobile tickets uh, over the summer there's uh, this is all kicked off off the back of the fact that it, it, it's emerged the um the cup tickets are not transferable um, and obviously there's there's a couple of groups like City Matters there's the 1894 group and it kind of feels like there's been nobody speaking up for the fans in this instance yeah I'll be interested to see what the 1894 group say like and in terms of um, the politics of the situation and their duties I mean I should I should know more about it and their their responsibilities really I, I I'm off. I'm off um, this week. The people will be listening to this. So I do. I do plan on writing about this more. Um, I do intend to speak to 1894 to see, you know, their role in it. You know, what if they think it's necessary or whatever. Um, but yeah, there are obviously fans. This is why it's been set up. So it's a fact that there are obviously fans that think not enough's been been said. I've seen there's been a. I've seen. I've seen it talked about. I've not actually seen any backlash to it because last few days have been quite manic. Um, but I, I've. Apparently, there's been a bit of backlash to the idea from... I'm fair to say there's an element of City fans who think the club can do no wrong, which is, you know, you get the same anywhere. It's not it's not a, a really a criticism of, of, of City fans. It's just this particular element. I don't really mind if they get charged extra because they can see it's because of inflation or it's because of the quality on the pitch and we keep winning and blah, blah, blah. So that that's fine. But there are that element of fans who think, well, we don't really need this kind of stuff. But obviously, there is, a, there is obviously a growing number of fans who think... See, you're taking a piss here, and obviously that last week um, with it saying there's no cup scheme 
for the cups, which again, as I understand it, and I could be I could be wrong here, so I could be talking rubbish, but as I understand it, that wasn't made clear when people kind of signed up to the cups game. Is that right? Yeah, um, it was. It was so, basically. basically in, so in fans didn't know they couldn't swap their tickets. Yeah, in years gone by, you could swap your tickets because obviously you had the card and you could just you could pass it on to friends and family that sort of thing. This year, you can't do that because uh, the I, I think the the uh, Man City help statement was basically saying uh, it was to stop people collecting points for games they've not been to effect, um, effectively. Yeah. Um, which again, like again, that, I, I can see that. Like, I can see that from the outside, but also I've seen so many. Um, complaints on my timeline and look I saw a load of complaints about the mobile ticketing and which I wasn't really having I thought look people will get it on their phone and get it on their watch and there was in my opinion there was too much people going oh I'm alright but what about Dave from Moston who's 85 and hasn't got a phone I was like you're imagining people who are going to have problems here and like they're obviously going to be a few but it's I, I never thought the ticketing issue mobile ticketing would be that big and it's fair to say although there are, there are a couple of problems with it the first game of the season against Norwich, it was nowhere near as bad as people thought, was it? People thought it was going to be a, sh- a shit show, and it wasn't. It was fine. So in terms of that kind of on my timeline, I'm not just believing everything I see because I wasn't really having it with that. But on my timeline with this, in terms of the ticket transfer, everyone's saying, well, you can get a ticket to the cup games anyway. Like, And maybe City are thinking now, we might be in the Champions League final again, and we want to reward people who are there. But it seems like the reality of the situation is whether you go to these Champions League or or League Cup games in October, November or not, you, you and you want to go to the, the Cup semi-finals and the finals, you're probably going to be able to go anyway. So, is there any point in changing it? So, that, and I think that's why I think it sounds like a good idea because City might say, "Oh, we want to do it for this reason," and it makes a bit of sense. But that makes sense to me. Who doesn't have to buy City tickets, and I don't have to put them on a you know, I don't have to give them away if I can't make it in midweek. So it makes sense to have fans who are actually impacted the other way. So yeah, it makes yeah. sense. I'm interested I'm interested to see how it pans out. Well, just for a bit of context on that, in terms of my season tickets, um, I dropped out of the cup schemes uh, a couple of years ago because, um, long story short, I didn't have trouble getting to getting tickets to the games that I wanted to go to. There were some games that fell on nights when I was working and it was almost impossible to get to. And so I figured it was probably just better to buy the ones that I wanted to go to and that was it and take my chances if City get to a final and I'm not able to go. As, as it stands, I didn't try to go to the Champions League final last year. Obviously, that was a bit different with COVID and reduced capacities, all that sort of stuff. I imagine if they get to the Champions League final this year, I probably won't be able to get a ticket for it. Mm. But I've never struggled to get a ticket for a Wembley final or a, a Wembley semi-final for, for games that I've wanted to go to. So uh, that's that's kind of the chance that I take uh, with it all. And I think I, I think a lot of people are, have um, uh, maybe maybe thinking along similar lines for, for future seasons now with the, with the fact that they can't transfer the tickets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's difficult, isn't it? Um, but I, I think it's, it's an interesting move, and obviously, City, you've got City Matters, and they probably believe that that's you know that is the fan representation. But obviously, there's plenty of other fans who believe it isn't. So, I think it can only be a good thing because if if obviously there's a, a good deal of fans who think they're not represented, then it's it's worth having yeah. a conversation, isn't it? And yeah. like like the original tweet said, it probably it would, might take a while to get some traction with the club, so it will be interesting to see how the club react to it and and if it's recognised and. And, and where it um, where it goes on from here, because yeah, City's kind of supporter movements are very different to other clubs. And again, I understand that after in you know in the the aftermath of the Super League, yeah, you know, City fans weren't protesting against the owners, and I and I don't know why. Like you don't like yeah, it doesn't take a genius to work out. Going yeah. back to the simple reasons, it's fucking obvious why. <laughs> like <laughs> it's as simple as that. Um, but 
in terms in th- in you know on matters like this where it's affecting the match going experience or it's affecting how much money you're paying like unnecessarily then yeah that 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 it's better to have something than than to not so yeah, yeah. We'll, it, we'll it'll keep- be interesting I'll, I'll do i'll do more work in the in the, in the next couple of weeks yeah, we'll keep an eye on it, see where it goes. Um, that's that's it for this week's Why Always Us. Uh, thanks, as always, to Sam Lee. Thanks very much. Uh, we'll be back again next week with the reaction to all the big stories from the Leipzig and Southampton games. You can sign up to The Athletic right now with a 33% discount. Just use the code MANCITYPOD. The Athletic.